The following live recording of Swami Vivekananda Saraswati is presented by agamayoga.com. Good evening, namaste to all of you. Tonight I'm going to continue in the satsang with a presentation of the text and the commentaries for one of uh, the most beloved and appreciated texts of Hatha Yoga, Kundalini Yoga and Laya Yoga. <clears throat> the Geranda Samhita, for a number of months now I have uh, given commentaries on this text, which sometimes when you go into the thick of some chapters becomes a little bit uh, tedious in the meaning that it's very technical, it presents technology after technology, it's very encyclopedic, it's very engineering like in its precision, and sometimes uh, because of this it can be a bit monotonous because it lacks any um, flashiness in it. However, when we read such traditional texts, we always get uh, touched, we always get moved. There is a telepathic inspiration in all this because in this text we see the real yoga. In this text we see the yoga, how it was done two, three, five, eight hundred years ago, the traditional yoga of India. And when you look at their, at some of the shlokas, at some of the messages, and what such authors like Geranda, they emphasize on, then you see how much modern yoga is far from those and what did they consider to be important. Thus, um, part of the reading is not for communicating techniques, because we teach most of this technology in our yoga courses. It's partly to show that what we teach in Agama is coming from the tradition, is aligned with the tradition, and partly it is just for transmitting to you the spirit. It's more important than the letter, than the actual thing, is the spirit, what kind of people were these people, how were they thinking, what was relevant to them, and which were their values. <clears throat> I am close to the end of this text, probably it will take another two or three satsangs to finish it, so in this season, in this summer, I'm going to finish it, and then I'll move to another subject for satsangs. Uh, I'm in the chapter 5 out of seven chapters, with a mention that chapter six and seven are just of 20 verses each, so they are relatively short. I might finish those in two weeks or maybe even in one evening of satsang. And uh, so the chapter number five is the last of the long chapters. It will count 90-something shlokas. I am somewhere at the shloka number 58. And thus, we are past the middle of this chapter. This chapter number five is consecrated to pranayama. And Geranda has spent a third of this chapter speaking about the place, the time, the diet, and all the other conditions that a yogi should fulfill to do pranayama successfully. Thus, Geranda showing that pranayama is a very powerful part of yoga and it should be dealt with with respect, with consideration. It's like handling a powerful explosive. You have to do it with consideration. And he concluded 
because he gave the first pranayama, which he considered the purification pranayama, and he simply goes into a bit of a enthusiastic raving in shloka number 57, where he says, by pranayama one reaches the power of kechari or levitation and other connotations. By pranayama diseases are cured. By pranayama the shakti kundalini is awakened. By pranayama the mind is transcended. By pranayama the mind reaches bliss and the practitioner is happy. He wants, he's very much believing in pranayama and he's very much praising pranayama. He says, do pranayama. And then he moves directly to the next step. He announced that you will, there are eight main pranayamas and three secondary ones. He moves directly to the next pranayama. For example, in Agama here, the pranayamas are not practiced in the order given by Geranda because actually their intensity and their impact on the chakras and on the body of the human being follows other rules. Geranda apparently does not follow any medical or evolutionary order in teaching them. He just teaches them the same thing when he taught mudras, the same thing when he taught kriyas, the same thing when he taught asanas. He didn't care about the order of them. The order in which you practice them is something which you learn from your teacher. And uh, Geranda is more like making a survey of what is there. So the second pranayama which he chooses to put in his order is the Surya Abheda Pranayama. Surya Abheda Pranayama is uh, in Agama coming only around the 10th level of study, so it comes a bit later proportionally. And Bheda is a Sanskrit word which means pervasion or to be filled up, to be impregnated by. Surya is the sun. So Surya Abheda is the Pranayama of the solar pervasion in which basically the title says that this is a pranayama for becoming solar. It's a pranayama for getting filled up with solar energy. Especially in the context of Kali Yuga and the last hundred years of modern civilization, this is very relevant because one of the needs of the modern yogis since a hundred years especially is that everybody is becoming very yin. Men and women are becoming exceedingly yin which has very negative effects on their health, as well as on their mental health, as well as on their general satisfaction and success in life. And that's why here in Agama you hear often that people are advised to get more solar, to eat a solar diet, to eat a yang diet, according to the yin-yang way of categorization, and so on. The solar pranayama in this way is a great help for this. So when you learn it in Agama with all the details, there you can see uh, that Surya Vedana is a important pranayama. Just a little Sanskritological thing. I usually don't go too much into this because practically it's not of great interest. The text of Geranda Samhita writes it with B, like Surya Bhedana. But it appears that in the Vedic forms of Sanskrit, it should be with V. B and V are changing very easily in Sanskrit. So some people would call it instead of Surya Bhedana, they will call it Surya Vedhana, uh, meaning the same thing. The word uh, B and V are interchangeable. 
just for those of you who will find it in some papers of Agama or others in under the form Vedana or Vedana and might think it's a mistake or it's something else. It's not. This is a strictly Sanskritological thing. And says Geranda, in all these texts, Geranda is talking to his disciple Chandakapali. And he says, thus have I described the Sahita Kumbhaka, now listen to the Surya Vedana. So he goes to the next simply. Powerfully inhale the wind, called here by the Sanskrit word Marut, via the solar Nadi. Uh, two interesting things in this shloka, because he says, powerfully inhale the wind. So he insists on a breathing, which is strong, which in some pranayamas is not recommended, but here in this one it is. So he says, powerfully inhale the wind. Like when you inhale, you go like... You go strong, you don't make a delicate, discreet one. Powerfully inhale the wind, and he calls the wind by the word Marut, which for somebody who lives in India and lives in the Vedic culture, is very significant because Marut does not mean the wind which blows out there. Marut is actually the name of the spirits of the wind. It's the name of the gods or deities of the wind. So he says, powerfully inhale the spirit of the wind, which is very significant because in this way he points to the thing that when you inhale the air, you are referring to something which is invisible in the air like the spirit. And that reminds to anybody who reads this that always when you do pranayama, it's about prana. It's the fact that when you inhale, you do something with prana. Pranayama only externally is about breathing, but internally it's about prana, it's about marut, it's about the spirit of the wind, the hidden thing in the wind, which is the life force known as prana. So he says, powerfully inhale the wind via the solar nadi, which for every yogi who has done at least the first level intensive in Agama, or at least the first two days of yoga in Agama, is always the right nostril, the solar nadi, is the right nostril. Then he continues in 59. Retain the air with the greatest care and by the means of Jalandharabandha. With the greatest care means don't do pranayama recklessly. As some modern humoristic things say, don't drive angrily. We could say don't do pranayama angrily. Don't do pranayama recklessly, madly. That's why he uses a word in Sanskrit which says retain the air with the greatest care. Which means when you retain the air and you hold it, you look at yourself, you constantly keep an awareness. And if the body starts developing some very negative reactions, you stop immediately. Because that's why it says retain with air. If wild things happen, you stop because if you do it recklessly, you may destroy yourself and that is not the purpose of pranayama. So there are here and there little words which say very much, a, a single word here and there is very meaningful. Retain this air with greatest care. Like be really decent when you do pranayama and by the means of Jalandharabandha. Jalandharabandha is an, a, a technique which he described in the mudra uh, chapter and it, which is a technique which we do perform teach here in Agama and it's a technique which roughly consists of putting the chin against the chest and compressing it 
And when you do this with a hum, with like you are lifting a weight, and then you are something in your throat goes, then you can't breathe. You can't exhale or inhale because there is a blocking of the of the glottis of the air channel. And then so it's a bending of the throat together with that contraction there, which uh, produces a specific effect. I read about, I already commented Jalantarabanda from the standpoint of Gyaranda. Of course, in uh, Agama, we teach it with the full implications. Gyaranda is always just using a few lines, and that's it. He doesn't go into the details of the teaching. So he says, retain the air with two things, greatest care, like awareness, and with the, putting the chin against the chest, Jalantarabanda. Hold it, and this is one of the very extreme shlokas in Garanda Samhita and in the yoga literature. This is a little bit when you see how crazy these yogis are. That they speak like this and like this, but they were hardcores. He says, hold it until sweat erupts from the tips of the nails and roots of the hair. I don't know if you imagine how much you have to hold your breath before you get sudden bubbles of sweat coming out at the roots of your hair, microscopic sweat instantaneously oozing wherever you have hair on your body. And it says something which I've never seen happening as such. It says, hold it until sweat erupts from the tips of the nails. Like you're getting wet here somewhere. It, it basically says, hold it until you feel you're going to die. Hold it until your body. But that is, of course, a very extreme practice which refers to Surya Vedana because generally in Pranayama, the golden rule is don't push your body over reasonable limits because you may produce disruptive and destructive effects in your body. Here in Surya Vedana, Geranda breaks this rule. He says, hold it until sweat comes from behind, from under your nails and from the roots of your hairs, which means really hold it. The explanation is that this pranayama being solar, being a pranayama of solar um, pervasion, is a pranayama which is more manly, more macho, more, uh, you know, it's a heroic pranayama. And to develop this kind of thing, you are pushing the envelope a little bit. That has to be learned from a teacher so that you make sure that no destructive effects will appear in the body. That's why here I'm quoting it to you anecdotally. I don't hope that some of you will go tomorrow morning and do some pranayama, which you've learned God knows where, and suddenly you'll try to see if you can ooze sweat from under your nails, because that's a little bit sudden. But 59, therefore, God goes a bit crazy and says, hold it until sweat is coming from the roots of your hair. That is usually a sudden purification, a rising of Kundalini. It's a very intense reaction in the body. And he says, push it to that limit. 60. Here, suddenly, he starts making a whole theory about the values. There are very famous editions of Geranda Samhita such as the edition published by Kaivalyadhamma by the Lonavla Yoga Institute in India, which are lacking this next, uh, let's see how many verses, this next, up till 66 from 60. So this seven shlokas, 
There are seven shlokas which in some editions are absent. They are absent because they are like a parenthesis. Now he's going to interrupt the presentation of Surya Vedana and remind you, remind Chanda Kapali, his disciple, about something which somebody would say, well, you should have known this when you read Garanda Samhita. This is an of course, you know, it's like something which they know in yoga. He feels like he wants to remind it here. So in some editions of this text, there are seven additional shlokas, starting with this coming one, number 60, where he reminds the situation of the subtle energies of the human being. For those of you who never read traditional yogic literature or who don't know much about these energies, it will be a very, very useful knowledge. It's one of the few traditional texts of yoga which goes there and speaks about this. He says in shloka number 60, there are 10 vital breaths or, or vayus in one's body. Prana, apana, samana, udana and viana and naga, kurma, krikara, devadatta and dhananjaya. To those of you who didn't do at least the second level of agama, and who didn't learn about Ashvini Mudra and the values which are related to it, and you didn't get a lecture in this school about the values and the function of the values, just listing their ten names, I probably can't remember a single one of them if you haven't heard them before and worked with them before, and it sounds a bit puzzling. But he starts encyclopedically. He says, first you should remember that there are ten values. What are the values? The values are divisions of the energy in pranamaya kosha or in the etheric body. Exactly as you are going to say, in the physical body there are seven types of tissues, such as bone, marrow of the bone, flesh, blood, lymph, sperm, fat. That's what Ayurveda calls the seven dhatus. So the seven body is made of a mixture of these seven datus. In the same way, some yogis would say your energy body, your pranic body, as we call it here in Agama, your etheric body, is made of ten components. There are ten basic energies, ten basic Lego pieces, Lego characters in your etheric body. And everything is made out of those ten. So they are mentioning ten energies, and because they are energies, they are forms of prana, they are called vayu, all of them. Vayu in Sanskrit language means wind, and it's more than marut. Marut means spirit of the wind, but vayu is actually the wind. When the breeze is blowing, when the air is blowing, that's vayu. And that's because the yogis were very smart when they created such names. Simply because when you start feeling energy moving through your body, either you do pranayama or you do uh, padahastasana or whatever you do, the energy is very often felt in the body as if a mysterious wind is blowing through your body. It's like a breezy feeling. And the yogis, when they felt these energies, they said, let's call these vayus because they are like a like a wind which is blowing from my feet to my head. It's a wind blowing through my flesh. Of course, it's not possible to have wind as such blow through your tissues. It's a sensation. It's a subjective sensation. And that's why the energies of the etheric body are suggestively called 
winds or vayus. So in the end, he's, in the beginning, he said there are ten, which is very significant. What else goes by ten? And then in 61, he goes, prana always dwells in the area of the heart, apana in the zone of the anus, samana in the region of the navel, and udana in the area of the middle of the throat. That is something which in Agama you learn thoroughly in the second level already, that each one of these values has a physiological function, a psychosomatic function, and it therefore is related with some organs, chakras, things in the body. I do not think it is necessary tonight, just because I'm commenting the uh, Geranda Samhita, to start giving now full explanations with diagrams of the whole value system, especially since this is learned or it's taught already in Agama and you have the opportunity to learn it in detail. That's why I'm just reading it here more like a confirmation. I did not invent the values. Even Geranda in the 18th century writes about them and it's a much, much older system. There is older literature which mentions them. So. Prana in the heart, related to the heart chakra. Apana in the anus, related with Muladhara chakra. Samana in the region of the navel, obviously related to Manipura chakra. And Udana in the area of the middle of the throat, obviously related to Vishuddha chakra. There is one left, because four have been said. And in 62 he continues. Viana Vayu pervades the whole body. So this is not in an area, it's like the lymph and the blood throughout your whole body. These are the five main values, collectively known as pranadi, or pr the group of prana. In India, in Indian philosophy, it's a classical thing that you take a list of things, and you say that, like, for example, the yamas, in yama and niyama, for those of you who do or did the first level of agama, the yamas are ahimsa, satyam, asteya, brahmacharya, and aparigraha. And you can call them ahimsa, etc. Because they always come in that order. They always are in that group. And it's ridiculous to repeat all five of them all the time. And they could be called the group of precepts of ahimsa. The group of ahimsa. Because it's like the, they just quote the first one like the flagship. They quote the first one like the headline, and then the others are obviously understood by the connoisseurs. So he says there are five main values which start with prana, the first one, and they are called pranadi, the group of the prana, which means prana, apana, samana, udana, and viana. And they flow inward. And then they say the other five, are called Nagadi, they start with Naga, the group of Naga, and they flow outward. By this outward and inward, he means the five main values are the essential ones, they are the core ones, they are the basic ones, and then the others are exactly like the capillary blood vessels are to a blood circulation. They are important, relevant, but the capillaries, if you destroy 20 capillaries, Nothing dramatic will happen. Nothing tragic will happen in general. So these are secondary values, and he called them external, the group of Naga. And he says, and this is one of the rare texts of yoga where the secondary ones are mentioned, 
and very few schools go into the details of it. Even in Agama, we don't use them much, but we know about them and the applications. And here, Geranda, in shloka number 63, he says, I will tell you now about the function of the five outward values. Like he doesn't speak about the inward ones because prana, apana, samana are widely known. Even in the Ayurvedic medicine, they are known and understood because of their relevance for the body functions. But he wants to insist, he makes this parenthesis and he feels like it should say something more about the secondary one. And he starts. Naga, the first of them, the Nagadi, the group of Nada. Naga is the flagship. Naga produces eructation or belching and hiccups. Kurma produces blinking. Krikara, 64. Krikara produces sneezing. Devadatta, yawning and frowning. And Dhananjaya pervades the body and does not leave it even for a while after death. There is a Vayu, all the Vayus leave the body 49 days after death in the period called by the yogis the Bardo. So during the Bardo, all the etheric body shreds and leaves the body, but one-tenth of the energy, one-tenth of the prana is related to the tissues as long as they are tissues. And the only way to destroy that one is to burn the body into ashes, which is the quick method or to wait for seven years until the body is completely eroded and then scatter it. Like the last remains, which are the bones, should be scattered and that disturbs any form of resonance of uh, the last one of Dhananjaya with the body. For, a, for as an example of this Dhananjaya still being in the body is the fact that the hair still grows, the nails are still growing, there exists a very primitive biological activity which continues in a corpse even months and years after the death of the body itself. This, according to yoga, is produced by a vayu, a secondary vayu, which stays with the tissues there. So that's why it says that dhananjaya pervades the body and does not leave it even for a while after death. How long? from 49 days to 7 years, and if the body is cremated, then much faster, but apparently this cremation is producing a shock. So some many occultists, they contest if in Kali Yuga, human beings should allow their bodies cremated, because the shock for a person that is very materialistic and very attached to their physical body, the shock might simply be too much, like an attachment to the body, a pain, a horror, a something. While, for example, if the body is disposed slowly, the nine values go in short time, and the tenth value takes its time, and then it goes also. And he continues. Again, he wants to tell more on a spiritual level as well. 65 we are into. He says the last of the parentheses, uh, of the parentheses shlokas. Naga vayu gives rise to a higher consciousness. So it's like going up. Remember it was said it produces belching and hiccups. So it's very much like Udana Vayu, for those of you who know what Udana Vayu is, and that's why it also gives rise to a higher consciousness, like the energy goes in the head, upwards in the higher chakras. Kurma, the blinking of the eyelids, 
and vision. It's responsible with the power of the vision as well. Klikara, hunger and thirst and sneezing. Some of the things are repeated actually from the previous sloka to here, such as this sneezing thing. Devadatta produces yawning and by Dhananjaya, that's the last one which doesn't leave the body, even in death, sound or Shabda is produced. This letter one does not leave the body even for a second. <coughs> they did not use the word second in ancient Sanskrit. They used the word Shana Matra. Matra means a measure like in music when you beat the tact in music. That's Matra. And matra is used in poetry as well, like the rhythm of the speech and the rhythm of a poem. That's matra, and kshana is the smallest unit of time. It's like the atomic time. <coughs> and Geranda says, this dananjaya does not, is the form of prana which never leaves the body even for a second. This is not compatible with life. And now, after he made a detour of six or seven shlokas, he comes back to Surya Vedana because he was in the middle of Surya Vedana. And he says, powerfully inhale the wind via the solar nadi, so inhale strong via the right nostril. Yeah. Retain the air with greatest care and by the means of Jalantharabandha, hold it until sweat comes under the tips of your nails. And now in 66, continue. Inhaling through the right nostril, unify and draw all the vayus. What's all the vayus? All the vayus means all the pranic energy, all the forms of vayus. Ten vayus equivalent to the totality of your pranic body. So he says with the right nostril, in unify, like bring them together and draw all the vayus up. So you inhale and the energy must go up from the root of the navel via the Surya Nadi Pingala. So it's a complex visualization where it says at the root of your navel, which means deep in your Manipura Chakra, in your Hara, visualize how all the energy is coming together and then you draw it through the right Nadi, through the right side of the body, like a fire up. So it's a very fiery pranayama, it's a very solar pranayama as the name says it. And after the retention of the breath, exhale slowly and steadily without jerk. See, you cannot learn this pranayama directly from a satsang like this, because there are 101 details. He never mentions clearly here that you are exhaling through the opposite nostril. And if somebody doesn't tell you that, it might, you might get very wrong in your practice and damages may, may occur. So again, my presentation of the text of Geranda is not meant to teach you these techniques. I would very much prefer that you learn them in the Agama courses where they are explained by a teacher practically and step by step and in all details. Geranda, either on purpose or because simply he considers that the details are not necessary, for the connoisseurs, uh, Geranda speaks very briefly and he omits a lot of details, not because he necessarily wants to, but because he's going quickly through the whole thing for the sake of his disciple. And thus, he simply uh, doesn't say a lot of things. Such texts are not meant for teaching yoga. They are texts for teachers and advanced pupils 
to remember yoga, to look through it and to say, oh, Surya Vedana, I haven't done this for a long time. Maybe this summer I take a tapas and I do some Surya Vedana, you know, because it reminds me of it. Or if I have to teach it, I read here and I say, oh, yeah, I remember all the details, of course, and then I can teach it. So it's not meant to be a teaching, it's meant to be an encyclopedia of it. So he says, after the retention of the breath, exhale slowly and steadily without jerks. Like you never exhale like, not in this pranayama at least, there are others. Here he says you exhale steadily with a constant flow. 67, then again inhale via the solar nostril, the right one. Retain as instructed, which means with Jalandharabandha and so on, and exhale again. Again, he doesn't say via the left. This has to be repeated again and again, always inhaling through the Surya Nadi. So, he needs to say this because early in Pranayama, those of you who studied and those of you who didn't, maybe you will, early in Pranayama, one of the earliest Pranayamas which he himself taught here, and I explained it a couple of weeks ago, there is a Pranayama which is uh, alternative. You inhale to the right, exhale to the left, then you inhale to the left, exhale to the right, and that's a balancing beginner's pranayama. This is an imbalanced pranayama, and to perform imbalanced techniques of yoga may be dangerous if you don't know what you are playing with. That's why this is a technique which in Agama we teach not in the first pranayamas. We teach in the later pranayamas when people already know most of the rules of the game. So he said here, like, yes, I'm, you didn't hear it wrong. Continue again and again, always inhaling through the Surya Nadi. Like he says, this is an, uh, a solar pranayama. It's out of balance. It develops only one side of your being. 68, this Surya Beda Kumbhaka, now comes the effect. He described it as much as he wanted. And now he has to say a few words. The effects are, as always, for major yoga techniques, the effects are always flabbergasting. He just speaks two lines or four lines, but when he speaks, he says, what can I say in a few words? And he always chooses the most powerful, the most significant thing. He doesn't lose himself into small things. And everybody who reads this can say, these guys were crazy, you know. This is the spirit of the yogis and of pranayama. Listen what he has to say. He says, this Surya Beda Kumbhaka, conquers old age and death, awakens Kundalini Shakti, and increases a lot the inner fire. O Chanda, thus have I revealed to you the excellent Surya Veda. He calls it excellent, like this is a great technique. And without further ado, he moves to the next one. We'll probably manage to, to reach three or four today, and um, or maybe five, yeah, perhaps five of them. And uh, thus you will see the spirit of it. Ujjayi pranayama. This is shorter because there is no parenthesis of seven shlokas about the vayus. Now it gets easier and easier. After in the beginning he, he was very difficult to start. He was very slow to start. Now it starts flowing for him and he starts describing technique after technique. Shloka 69, Ujjayi pranayama. Jai means long live victory. Hail, <clears throat> and Ujjayi means up victory, up hail. It's a very uplifting sentence or onomatopoeic thing in Sanskrit. 
which means like victorious. Ujjayi pranayama is the victory. Pranayama is the upsurge victorious pranayama showing something of the spirit of it. 69. Inhale by the nose, pulling the air towards the mouth so that it produces friction into the throat and chest and then hold the air firmly. Uh, if you are going to be curious to look how many translations of Geranda Samhita have been produced in English in this world, and I'll tell you that I know at least of about 10. And uh, then when you read a shloka like this one, 69 in Ujjayi here, you see how difficult the Sanskrit language is and how somebody who did not get it from a teacher and knows exactly how it's done, how confused you can get. All these things that you inhale to the nose but pull it through the mouth or towards the mouth and that it produces a friction in the chest but also in the throat. And how the heck is this if you just never did see Ujjayi and you hear it from me, you say, what is this guy talking about? Listen again, inhale by the nose, pulling the air towards the mouth. How do you inhale in the nose, pulling the air towards the mouth? You inhale it by trying to do it like when you snore, like you rub the air against your, your uh, pharynx, against the back of your uvula, and it comes like you are just like you produce like a snoring sound and so that it produces friction into the throat, not here, into the throat and chest. This friction into the throat and chest, it's something which sounds like this. So you are doing a pranayama where you are producing <coughs> a guttural and chest sound like children do when they pretend they are shot dead and they die and so on. This kind of sound, you produce it. <coughs> I invite you to read those 10 translations of Garanda Samhita and to see that only two very scholarly ones get it right. All the other eight, they are far out. They translate some things that if you read, you say, what's he meaning here? Those are people who didn't do Jai Pranayama because if they did, they would know exactly how you do it and where the sound is. So that's why I say you need a teacher because the teacher teaches you the actual thing. <clears throat> and he says, so inhale by doing this sound and then hold the air firmly, retain. 70, with the mouth thus purified, there's a very strange mention which has no explanation in the yoga tradition. It says it like brings a purification here in this area. Usually when they mention a purification here, they mention like it purifies the Soma Chakra, which is a very important energy point in related to the mouth. So he says with the mouth thus purified, whatever he wants to mean with it, perform Jalandhara Bandha, so again press the chin against the chest. Again, that is a whole technology, don't try to do it if you didn't learn it from a teacher, because it's not just pressing the chin on the chest. And hold the breath forcefully and for long, yet without discomfort. Here, in the Surya Vedana, he said, hold it until sweat is oozing from under your nails. Here, he gets more decent. This is not such a forceful pranayama. And he said, hold the breath forcefully, like, hold it, and for a long time, yet not with discomfort. Like in the moment when it starts being too much, exhale. <coughs> Practice the Ujjayi 
I'm sorry. Then he doesn't say anything about exhale, doesn't explain there is a trick about the exhale in Ujjayi Pranayama. He never mentions it. Then he gives the effect in two shlokas. He says, practice of Ujjayi Kumbhaka accomplishes all things. It's here what a strong statement. It's called the victorious pranayama. The pranayama which gives you victory. Victory in what? He says in all things. You want something, you like you want to, like the guys from the materialistic obsessed guys from the, the secret video and booklet. No, they say you should visualize that you got yourself a Mercedes Benz, a new uh, luxury car. Well, do it with Ujjayi Pranayama. Ujjayi Pranayama accomplishes all things. Of course, the yogis living in India and Tibet, they would not think about getting themselves a Mercedes Benz. For them, accomplishing all things, it, may, it means something completely different. It means accomplishing spiritual and sublime ideals. But Gyaranda is very universal. He says the practice of Ujjayi Pranayama gives you victory everywhere in life. You do a business, you do some, whatever you do, Ujjayi Pranayama accomplishes all things. He means to say it's a Pranayama which makes you powerful, discriminative, solar, victorious. In all, it's a Pranayama which is a Pranayama of accomplishment. It eliminates, and then he comes very much to the level of Ayurveda, discussing about the body. What does it do more down to earth? It eliminates all disorders of Kapha. I hope you did the first level of Agama and you know what Kapha is. Kapha is one of the three doshas or humors of Ayurveda, and it's the heaviest of them, and it's called in common parlance mucus or phlegm, and it represents the most dense part. And one-third of the bodies of the human being are kapha bodies, uh, kapha diseases. The most frequent kapha disease in the human being is the flu. When you have a flu or a cold, that is a kapha disease. So just to give an example. So basically it says it eliminates all disorders of kapha. Here is easy conclusion. If you do ujjayi pranayama, you can kill a cold or a flu. By doing Ujjayi, because it eliminates disorders of Kapha, and the flu or a cold is a disorder of Kapha. So it eliminates all disorders of Kapha, as well as nerve diseases. That's something related to Vishuddha Chakra, and as Vishuddha Chakra is related to the nervous system. There is something very fine here, and it says it, Ujjayi Pranayama deals with nerve diseases and excess of Vata in the digestion manifested as flatulence, indigestion, and similar things like this. And he continues, 72, constipation, tuberculosis, cough and fever, enlarged spleen, rheumatism, or dysentery can never afflict him. It's interesting. Where does this list come from? This is all the list of things which Ujjayi Pranayama does we can presume that Geranda is remembering and mentioning the plagues of the day, like the people in the nearby village in the 18th century, what were the diseases they suffered most often from? 
from constipation, indigestion, flatulence, tuberculosis was one of the flaws of the of the pests of old days. Cough and fever, which can be easy or go really bad. Enlarged spleen is often mentioned in Ayurvedic and yogic texts. This enlarged liver, enlarged spleen. Rheumatism, dysentery, which in India <coughs> it will be frequent. They can never afflict him. Are there other diseases which are healed by Ujjayi? Yes, he said it before. All the diseases of the Kapha and some diseases of the nerve system they also should be included. One should master Ujjayi Pranayama to conquer old age and death. Well, this is a huge statement. You know, this technique, it's like eight lines of text in Sanskrit. And these eight lines describe a technique which is supposed to delay, postpone, conquer for a while at least, old age and death. Old age and death are the boogeyman of the modern and ancient civilization as well. You know, it's like, what do you want more from a yoga technique if somebody like Garanda says, this postpones old age and death. It's big enough. It's a biggie. He moves directly to Shitali Pranayama, another one of the pranayamas that we teach here in Agama. He explains it just in two shlokas. One, to how to do it, two lines, short two lines, and two lines about the effect. Draw in the air by the tongue. He doesn't say how by the tongue, but in practice it's done by curling the tongue like this. And so you suck the air through this tube made by the tongue. Draw in the air by the tongue and fill the belly slowly. I checked all the Sanskrit versions. It says the belly. It doesn't say the chest or the lung. So fill the belly slowly. Insist on inhaling abdominally. It points to an abdominal respiration. So he says, draw in the air by the tongue and fill the belly slowly. Hold it for a while and then exhale through both nostrils. So you inhale through the tongue, but you exhale through the nose. That's all he has to say about the practice, because for the rest, your teacher is going to show you the, the thing. And in 74, he says, let the yogin practice regularly this beneficial shitali kumbhaka that gives pleasure. He uses a word which is related with sukha from sukhasana, and they both of them point to svadhisthana chakra. It's an indirect way of saying, be careful, because this pranayama is giving a pleasant thing, which is that thing from Svadhisthana, Sukha, that all of you know. And thus, it's a very discreet pointing to say it's about Svadhisthana, but he never mentions clearly Svadhisthana, because it's a bit too much. And he says, he closes by saying, he will never suffer from indigestion or disorders of phlegm and bile, kapha and pita. As if you do Shitali pranayama, you never suffer from indigestion, out of the whole range he chose indigestion as one, and then he goes general, disorders of kapha and pitta, which are tons and tons of disorders. Pitta disorder is fever or boils or pimples or other things of inflammation, of infection, and Shitali pranayama is one of the best pranayamas to calm down fever, infection and other things like that. Then he goes to Bhastrika Pranayama, which is probably the last of the pranayamas that we teach here in Agama. 
having some strong connotations for Kundalini Yoga. This is how Yaranda describes it in three shlokas. He says, as the bellows of a blacksmith moved constantly, so should one also inhale and exhale through the nose with a noise, with a sound. I don't know if you have seen, at least in the old days or in some museum, how the bellows of a blacksmith look, because it's like an accordion thing which you just blow and empty, and exactly like this your lungs have to go. Because he says do it through the nose, yeah? So this is a pranayama which is a, like a hyperventilation of some sort. And then he says in 76, doing this 20 times in a row, let one hold the breath, he uses the word kumbhaka in Sanskrit, and then exhaled as explained before. He doesn't say, what, what is as explained before? The only thing which was before was shitali. And in the shitali he said in the end exhale to the nostrils. So here he hints to the point that either the teacher explained to you before or exhale as in the one before. Very tricky, very twilight language. He doesn't speak clearly. He loves to speak in twisted ways. That's valid not about him. There are many, many texts written by other great yogis before him, and all of them speak just in the same way, very enigmatic, very elliptic, very in parables, so that people who just lay hands on that text accidentally, they will be puzzled by a hundred and one question marks, like, what about this, what about this? I can't understand anything from this. And then you give up, because only with a teacher you can understand it. 77. Let the wise one perform this Bastrika Kumbhaka three times in a row. So you do those 20 things and then a retention and then this whole set three times in a row. There will be no disease or suffering and he will gain in health day by day. This is a general strengthener of the being because it is related with some effects from Kundalini Yoga which Gyaranda doesn't bother to mention in this shloka, in the text right now. And finally, the last one which I want to read for tonight, so it appears like we are going to end earlier than usually, it's going to be a shorter session, is the Brahmari, Pranayama. Brahmari means generally a bumblebee, a large bee, a beetle of some sort, one of these vibrating, humming, beetles or bees, but usually it's a, if it's a bee, it's a large one, it's like a bumblebee. And he says the following thing, at midnight, that's weird, here is a yoga technique for midnight. At midnight, the yogin must go in a place where there are no sounds, definitely not here in this hall tonight, yeah? So not, where there are no sounds, even those produced by insects. So like no crickets, no something, because this is a technique which is based on mantras, on sounds, and if there are other sounds you are going to hear erroneously, because you have no faith, and you are going to feel that uh, it's because of the external sounds and you are hearing some faint echo of those. That's not the case. So that's why he says you go at midnight in, in India, in medieval India at midnight, there was not a soul. Everybody slept, so it was like the, one of the quietest times possible. And he says you go where there are not even insect sounds like crickets and other night bugs. There, 
in that if when you find such a place, you should perform puraka and kumbhaka, which means inhale and hold the breath by closing the ears with the hand. So additionally, you close your ears. Different schools, different gurus use different mudras. Some of them pointedly put the fingers inside the ears. Some of them just use a cupping. Some of you of them, they use a mudra with a thumb here and so on. There are so many ways. Ultimately, that's not what matters. You can put, you can put cotton pads in your ears. That's also good. So he simply says, you go in a quiet place, you inhale and hold, and you plug your ears. So you are sure that what's coming is not from outside, but from inside. 79. He will then hear various internal sounds, and he uses the Sanskrit consecrated word for this, which is nada. Every one of you who took the Laya Yoga initiation in week four of Agama courses, you know their nada is discussed in extenso, that there exist sounds which are heard in total silence, which are inaudible sounds, non-physical sounds, sounds in your head, like you would say like a sort of whistling of the ears, but not associated with a disease of any kind. So he says, if you are in such silence and you hold your breath and plug your ears, you are going to hear various forms of internal sound into his right ear. He never bothers to explain. We know that generally the external organs are connected crisscross with the brain hemispheres, so right ear should correspond to something in the left hemisphere and so on. Geranda never explains, but I can confirm, and it's written in many other places of the yoga tradition, that 90% of the time when people hear these sounds, especially as beginners, they use them most often in the right ear, more in the right than in the left. Very few people hear their first nadas in the left ear. Most of them do in the right. And why that is the case, it has not been fully explained anywhere in the yoga or Ayurvedic tradition. It's just a statement. And I can confess that first time when I heard nadas, I did hear them in the right ear. And I don't have an explanation why, but the tradition is confirmed. These people did it and they knew most often it tends to appear in the right ear. And... Then he gives a unique list of description of the sounds, which are very useful for people who do Laya Yoga also, and Nada Yoga and others, because it gives you a range of what can you expect to hear. And he says, first, these sounds will resemble those of crickets. Even now they are crickets, you hear them, yeah? And then of a flute. That's one of the most frequent ones, like the crickets don't last much. Then there comes a continuous whistling, like metallic almost sound, like that of a flute. And he says, then like thunder, he means mega, he uses in Sanskrit, like distant clouds, like black distant clouds that are rumbling. It's a, a rumbling like this, like from distant thunder. Then like thunder, then like drums, he uses a special type of drums. Here, this shloka is so differently translated by different Sanskritologists because from part of India to part of India, the name of different musical instruments like cymbals, gongs, drums, it differs so much and it is sometimes superimposed. So the same word means two things or three different words mean one thing. 
So that's why here I'm giving you all the versions given in Sanskritology. I not being a great Sanskritologist and therefore not used with the vernacular regional traditions of India and uh, therefore this research has to be done only by experts. But it's not the point because I can do Nada Yoga very easily without knowing all the details because what matters is the spirit and then the practice shows you. So he tells you that the sound which you hear might change and then he defines levels or sonorities of it. Then like thunder, like, then like drums and some people say cymbals, not drums. Then like beetles or like large bees here the word used is brahmari which is exactly the title of this pranayama. This pranayama is called the bumblebee. So then like bumblebees, like large beetles or bees, like jingle bells, like tiny, like crystal-like bells, like gongs, and some people translate here as cymbals. What's a cymbal? What's a gong? What's a cymbal? What's a drum? Only musicians know all the differences. And the musical instruments of ancient India may have had different names, different allocations. And that's why this is again not precise to the millimeter, but it shows you just the spirit of it. And then after gongs or cymbals, horns, trumpets, military drums, veena, it means the rudra veena, and finally large drums, whatever those large drums were in the Indian culture. So he means the sonority changes as it goes deeper and deeper. And just to see how he concludes, he says, thus various sounds are cognized by daily practice of this kumbhaka. Last of all, so when, what the whole point of it is, that last of all is heard the anahata sound, anahata nada, so that's the real cosmic sound, which is like a white noise in a broken television, it's like a hissing oceanic sound, like when you put a conch shell over your ear and you hear this type of sound like this, and he says finally, you go through sounds and sounds, and last is heard the Anahata Nada. It's called Anahata Nada, but it's not coming from Anahata Chakra. There's a long story here, which I don't need. It's explained in uh, Agama courses, and I don't need to go into it right now. So he says, uh, it is, last of them is the Anahata sound or Nada, rising from the heart of this sound. There is a resonance, that's the Nada itself. And in that resonance, there is a light. Uh, this is a metaphysical theory that from sound comes nada, and from nada there comes prakasha, or the divine light, which is Shiva. <coughs> in that light, or sound, the mind should be immersed, that you focus on it until you reach samyama, identification. When, a mind, when the mind is absorbed there, when you continue this pranayama with sound and light and it makes you go high, then it reaches the highest seat of Vishnu. It's a Vaishnava text. Geranda is a Vaishnava devotee and he calls this highest seat of Vishnu Paramapada, like the feet of Vishnu, like you have all these emblems with the feet of Buddha, the footprints of Buddha, which are supposed to be in your crown chakra, like that's where heaven starts. So that then it reaches the highest seat of Vishnu Paramapada, therefore Sahasrara, the crown chakra. 
by success in this Brahmari Kumbhaka, one gets success in Samadhi. What a difference! Shitali, kum, shitali Pranayama cures all the diseases of Kapha and Pitta. Ujjayi Pranayama gives success or accomplishment in all. And Brahmari Pranayama gives success in Samadhi. So as you can see, there are Pranayamas which are healing and there are Pranayamas which are giving high states of consciousness or form of ecstasy. Here you have a form of Pranayama which by the intelligent use of Nada or the internal sound and refining it, refining it, refining it, refining it, it can turn into a perception of light in your crown chakra and if you insist on that, it will result into states of Samadhi. So here is a pranayama that leads to samadhi, exactly as the headstand, as a simple asana, if done a lot, can lead to states of samadhi. And thus, uh, you can see the glory of pranayama, how far Garanda pushes it, and how encyclopedic that he knows those kinds of pranayamas, and he knows those kinds of pranayamas as well. We will stop at this point with the listing, I have to perfect the translation of more of the coming shlokas. Uh, therefore, tonight it was a bit shorter. I expect two or three more lectures about Garanda Samhita and in this season this text will be concluded. With this we have finished. I hope it gave you, even the short text which I read, I hope it gave you something from the spirit of the yogis what was their kind of focusing, how major their yoga practice were. These people were not doing yoga for trite little things. Their yoga was a grand thing and I hope it inspires you to practice more. With this, let us stop here for tonight. Namaste to all of you and thank you for joining. And I'll see you most probably next week in the next satsang where we continue with Gerandasana. This was a live recording of Swami Vivekananda Saraswati. For more information, visit us on agamayoga.com or go directly to agamayoga.com slash downloads.